Will you all stand for the gospel reading of Matthew chapter 11? Smile at me now. All right. Chapter 11, verse 2 through 11. When John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for one another? Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the leapers are clean, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. And blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you, what did you go out into the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? Someone dressed in soft robes? Look, those who wear soft robes are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. See, I'm sending my messengers ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of a woman, no one has arisen greater than John the Baptist. Yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. The Gospel of the Lord. There was this young man that was so despaired, so discouraged, that someone told him that if he just looked at the Word of God, the Word of God could speak clearly to him on what he needs to do. So this young man sat on, sat on the bed and was so despaired and so discouraged. So he said, Lord, speak to me through your Word. So he takes the Word of God, places it on his bed, opens it up and prays, Lord, tell me what I need to do. Let my finger hit the word I need to hear and what I need to do. And he hits it in Matthew 27, verse 5. And he reads it and says, Judas hung himself. And he goes, Lord, you cannot be telling me to hang myself. But that's what it says in the word. So he goes, no, Lord, I can't hang myself. That's, not, I, that, that's going to discourage me more. So he decided to pray again, Lord, speak through your word. He opens the Bible, boom. He hits Luke chapter 10, verse 37. Takes a look at it and says, go and do likewise. <laughs> he goes, you gotta be kidding. The word of God's telling me to kill myself. So he goes, what, three times a charm or three strikes are out? He says, Lord, Make this perfectly clear. What do I need to do? He opens the Bible, takes his finger and says, Lord, let it hit on the right word. Boom. He hits John chapter 13, 27. It says, that thou doest, do quickly. <laughs> That's the oldest sermon illustration I remember. And I remember when I was 11 years old, I was going, you got to be kidding because I was discouraged, I was frustrated at 11 years old about Santa Claus, about all, everything. Now, I don't know if you're like me, that you've been in despair, that you've been discouraged, that you've been isolated, that you feel all alone. 
There's times when I was 30 years old and I remember writing a check. And this is in interesting. Do you remember writing a check? We didn't have online banking. We had know what our balance was because we had to add it up. And I remember writing the check, my last check to my last bill, and I had $2.37 to my name, and I didn't get paid for another two weeks. And I'm talking about getting discouraged, not just at the moment, but being discouraged of the future. You notice that? You can get discouraged by two of them. So I decided to look at the word definition of despair. And it says despair is a complete loss of absence of hope. You ever been there? A complete loss and absence of hope. Today is a lectionary. If you look at this, and I'm not going to ask you to open a Bible and put your finger down and slam it down and figure it out. That doesn't work. But on the lectionary, the passages that we read, it has a lot of things about sight. It's about seeing things. It's about making the blind to see. Follow me on the screen. They shall see the glory of the Lord. The eyes of the blind shall be opened. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord watches over strangers. See the judge is standing at the door. And see the blind receive their sight. What did you go, what did you go into the wilderness to look at? Look, what did you see? See, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you. It's interesting that the Bible talks about perspective. What we see and what we don't see. In fact, if you look on the screen, when we are told to look, we are given heads up that we could easily miss something. We are being told that what we need to see is often hidden in plain sight. We need to focus on is, is often hidden by what we are currently seeing. Now in this passage is John the Baptist. You guys remember John the Baptist? <laughs> John the Baptist is nuts. Because John the Baptist was in the wilderness baptizing people. Thousands of people were going to John the Baptist. John the Baptist, what he wore was camel hair. And he, all he ate was locusts. So you would look at this and go, ooh, this is a strange man. But yet he was anointed by God and he was a prophet by, by God. And he's the one that would tell people to repent and turn away from their wicked ways. And he's the one that ended up baptizing Jesus himself. But man, his perspective changed. Not for the positive, but I can totally understand See, two things happened around the same time. And on the screen, Jesus had begun his ministry in public. He didn't do any miracles until he was baptized. And John the Baptist ticked off Herod's wife and got himself thrown in prison. You do not go after somebody's wife. But he was a prophet. Even the prophets prophesied about this prophet. That's how good a prophet this guy was. And so sometimes as a prophet, it's speaking the truth in somebody's life. And he did. So now he's in prison. And all he's seeing now is wall, 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 wall. All he sees is himself in prison. That's his perspective right now. And so he knew that his ministry was about to finish. He knew that was a possibility that he was going to die. Not only that he's looking at the circumstances that he's in now, he knows that the future looks completely bleak as well. And so he's discouraged. He's at despair. 
he finally thought this is a good time for Jesus to get up and be the Messiah and make game on and make it happen. I need to get out of here. You see, John, like most Jewish people, believed that the Messiah of that day would lead an armed revolution to overthrow the Roman oppression. And so he's probably going, okay, Jesus, you ever been in those positions? This is a good time for you to kick in here. I, I know I waited for the Lord. Those who wait upon the Lord, read that scripture, I waited. I'm not waiting anymore. And this is what he's going through now. Because John is seeing two things here that you and I see. John the Baptist saw his current uh, circumstance circumstances and total uncertainty about his future circumstances. When our current circumstances are not great and our future circumstances have a big question mark, then it's easy to be tempted to be despaired, right? Or I'm, if I'm the only one that's done this, okay? Because I'll be on my own. This is where I am at times. And John the Baptist, if it's good enough for John the Baptist, then it's good enough for me. So John the Baptist did the most, what most of us do when we see difficult times, we're presented with a question in our minds. And I don't know about you, if you're honest with yourself, that basically on the question, there's times that I ask, Jesus, are you really the one? Are you the one who can save me? Or should I look somewhere else? You ever been there? That you just go, you know what, this God thing, it ain't working for me. It's not working for me. I've trusted, I've done this. And, that, and then we start getting frustrated and mad. And we go, how in the world can I question this? Because we're told to live by faith. If John the Baptist did it, it's okay for you and I to do it, okay? John the Baptist went down in history. And so this is basically what he said in the Bible, Matthew eleven three: Are you the one to come? Or are we to wait for another? Do you see the question in there? It was very polite, very humble. But are you the one? Yes? Then I'll wait. No? Then I'll move on. It's just simple. Yes or no? Sometimes we just want certainty when our faith is stretched, isn't it? I want to know what's going to happen to me in a month from now. I want to know for certainty. I don't want to know when I'm going to die or how I'm going, but I don't need to know that everything will be okay. And so therefore he sends, John sends his peeps to go to Jesus, ask the same question to Jesus. Are you the one? And Jesus answered him in the most peculiar way. He didn't say yes, he didn't say no. Follow me. He said, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. You see, John was focused on how powerful the oppression was. How you doing, David? <laughs> That's a bad question to ask, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, poor David, let me do it. David came to church, what, three weeks ago? He rides his bike, and then he's hit by a car. And the car takes off, so he's just sort of laying there. So that's why he's on crutches. So don't tell me you can't come to church, because he came to church after he was hit. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, anyway. 
David's a good guy. He came knocking on my door last night. Is there church tonight? I said, sorry, we're not doing church on Saturday in on December. Anyway, welcome home. Sorry. So, so what, what was going on? He was looking in the wrong place because John the Baptist was focused on Herod. He was focused on the power to be. He was focused on, look, you've got to move the power here. And what Jesus was saying, look, see this. I need you to look here. I need you to focus here. On the screen, the Messiah is not here to conquer the powerful, but to uplift the powerless. If you want to find the Messiah, you will not find him having armed battle for places or throne. You will, not, you will find him outside serving those who are not being served by those who sit on thrones. Another time Jesus said this, for the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. It's easy to start missing Jesus when we get focused on our own circumstances, isn't it? The more tunnel vision I have, it becomes about me, and it becomes about what I want. And I don't see Jesus in that vision. I don't see Jesus in that perspective. I don't see his movement. And Jesus is basically telling John the Baptist, bigger, bigger, bigger. Let's look at the whole picture here. And so there's times that I ask, and I put this on the screen, Jesus, why don't I see you now? Where are you? As a pastor, you have to understand, when you're dealing with people's issues and people's problems and people's brokenness, you're just going, come on, Jesus, come on. And, and the thing is, if I was Jesus' PR person, I would say, look, you want to look good in this? I can make you look good. I can pack out this church. You just need to do what I need to do. But he says, I'm not that kind of a messiah. I'm not here to do, do it that way. I'm here for the broken. See, after John's disciples left to go report back to him, Jesus said the very interesting thing. He said, take a look. This is what he said in verse 7. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. Now remember, John was, he was, you would not have picked him for the more powerful Messiah that we have in our head. You would pick the perfect looking person. But he said, as the crowd went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds, which is interesting. How does the crowd go away? Then he speaks to the crowds. I don't get it, but that's what the word says. And he said about John, what did you, what did you go out into the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? Someone dressed in soft robes? He wasn't dressed in soft robes. Look, those who wear soft robes are in royal palaces. Basically, he's saying, I don't choose the powerful. I choose the crazy. I choose the brokenness. I choose the ordinary. In fact, M.T. Wright's a scholar uh, in the Word of God. He says it this way. He teases the crowd into thinking harder about who John was and who, therefore, Jesus himself must be. John wasn't like the royalty they knew. He was nothing like Herod, who emblems of his coins was a reed, reed waving in the wind. He wasn't dressed in all sort of fine clothes that rich and famous people, especially royalty, would wear. John was different. He was a prophet. Not just any old prophet either, but the prophet that previous prophets have spoken about. He was the one destined to get the, the path ready for God's Messiah, to walk along 
when he arrived. Very fascinating to me. John was imprisoned by Herod. John's life was in Herod's hands. If you look in the word, it's interesting because Herod really believed he was the king of all Jews. But if you understand this, John the Baptist and Jesus was different. John the Baptist knew that he was a Messiah and that he was the true king of the Jews. But the king was different. Jesus was completely different. His kingdom is much different than the world's kingdom. Jesus made it clear to the crowds. He said this, it's on the screen. If you're looking for a Messiah that is just a stronger version of Herod, you're not going to find him. The Messiah, that Messiah is no Messiah. Such a person would just bring greater destruction and not salvation. So where is Jesus now? Many of our evangelicals, let me finish this statement before you react. Many evangelicals believe Jesus is in the White House. Jesus has never been in the White House based on any president. He doesn't reside in power in what we look at. Jesus does not need Republicans. Jesus does not need Democrats. Jesus necessarily doesn't focus on people in power. He focuses on ordinary people like you and like me to do extraordinary things for the kingdom of God. And when we let him, he will heal our blindness so that we can see the truth. If we let him, he will heal our deafness so that we can hear the truth. And when we're crippled in our sinful addiction and habits, oh man, he's going to heal you and you'll begin to walk again in a new way. And when your life is completely destroyed by the choices that you made or choices other people made around you, he's a God that resurrects and a God that gives you a brand new life. Jesus can raise all of us. And when we lose sight on Jesus and what he can do, then we get discouraged. But when we, man when we focus on eyes on him, and what he's done for others, then we can celebrate. That's why I think it's amazing when I, David can walk in and I go, hey, Dave, you just got hit by a car. No one got hit. My goodness, he, was, he, he didn't get killed. And so therefore we can celebrate when we know people's stories. Because when we get outside of our own bubble, then we can see the manifestation of the Holy Spirit moving in other people's lives. That when we're isolated, when we feel by ourselves, then we go, no, the Lord's moving here. I just don't see it in my own prison. But he's moving among the people. That's why we come to church. That's why we celebrate together. This is why on the screen, go and tell John what you hear and see. This is what Jesus is saying, telling John the Baptist's peeps, go and tell him what you see in the celebration of what's going on. This is the third Sunday of Advent, and uh, it's pink, the, the candle. It's always been pink. It's called the candle of joy. And I always, do you remember when we sing, I got the joy, 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 joy? And there's always some clown going, where? Where? Well, you know what it is. You say it, but you don't live it. And the person that's going, where? Down in my heart, down in my heart. You know, joy to me 
is not happiness. Joy is an inner experience that we have through our walk with him. And no one can take the joy away. But here's the difficulties. Joy is a remedy to despair. How do we find joy? We simply have to look in the right places for Jesus. When we see people bringing healing and restoration in the midst of the darkness, we find hope once again. And once we find hope, it leads to what? Joy. I once heard that joy is often a hard emotion to sustain. And why? Joy can be hard to sustain because we often are afraid to rejoice. We think if we rejoice, we get our hopes up and then we'll get disappointed. So instead, we stick with our worst case scenario and look for the evidence that such scenario will play out. And therefore, we lose our hope and we lose our joy. Are you a worst case scenario? Oh, I am. And so therefore, why have joy when it's gonna be dashed? So I live in this life of just, there's nothing going on, I'm just surviving. Apostle Paul describes this, and Apostle Paul is a cool guy because you have to understand, this guy's life was not fair at all. He had a difficult life, but he understood and he had a deep version of joy. He said, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Words are peace, not in our circumstances. Through whom we have obtained access to the grace in which we stand, and we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our suffering. Wait, that's not encouraging. We boast in our suffering? You gotta be kidding, that's what he's saying. Knowing, guess this, knowing in our head, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and the hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. Perspective, isn't it? Man, he took all his suffering. This guy's nuts. You know, he was beat up unconscious for sharing the gospel and thrown out in the city and then wakes up and goes back and starts preaching the gospel again. I would have just gone, I'm done. I got a headache. I'm out of here. But man, he had so much joy serving Jesus. So don't expect to find Jesus so much in prosperity and power. And if that is where you are looking, you, are, you can be disappointed. Instead, look up for Jesus in the condition that easily can tempt you to despair. He is there, the one quietly bringing comfort, quietly bringing restoration and hope and joy. And finally, we are called to be the body of Christ. When we see someone hurting, we don't go, oh, bad. We're there for them. There's times I've fallen down and nobody's helping me up. And I'm going, where's the church? We are the body of Christ. I'm telling you right now, if my right leg totally gave up out right now, the whole body would just collapse. That's why he says we are the body of Christ. And so the remedy for despair, verse 15, rejoice. And those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. We are more likely to give in to the temptation of despair when we're going at it alone, aren't we? If we want to people to see Jesus, we have to make him visible through our lives. 
We do that simple by being present to reality and to the reality of others. I want to ask if Ava can come up uh, right now. And I'm going to do something that's different. I'm going to try something different. You mind? I'm going to ask um, Isabel to come up as well. And I'm going to ask Daniel to come up as well. Daniel, Daniel, if you don't know, Daniel's that quiet guy that does the sound. And so, if you can sit there, there. And Isabel, you're right here. Daniel, you're right here. And I'm here. Um, this is important to, to us because this is where we can share on what the Lord is doing in our lives. And I, I just I want to show Ava about the prisons that sometimes we're in. I want to show a picture of uh, uh, Ava's grandchildren that she adopted. And it just went through what? The adoption went through two months ago, three months ago. Yeah. And so she raises these boys, and they're her son's boys. Her son's in prison. Uh, it's girl, boy and girl, sorry. They're, son, they're sons in prison. And so she, at my age, has adopted these. I know, we're getting old. But the thing is, Ava, uh, two weeks, just discovered that she has cancer. And it doesn't look good. And so what is happening is that Isabel, you know, Ava wasn't going to tell me. And Isabel comes up to me and says, you need to talk to Ava. And I go, about what? And she goes, she'll tell you. I go, well, how do I bring it up? She goes, I don't know, but don't tell her I told you. <laughs> so I go, how do you do that? So Ava, two weeks ago, was saying bye, and I go, you're supposed to be telling me something. So she told me, and I said, do you want to keep it private or public? And she goes, I need prayer. And so I think it's important for us to pray. And I want to show you something, and then why I called them up. Isabel had the same type of cancer. Isabel is seeing out of her own wall to say, I get it. And she's, I am going to come alongside of you. Either way, I'm going to come alongside of you. Isabel is on a mission right now. It's not about her. She doesn't see anything. She's going to focus on it. And so when I, when I, when I talked to her about this, that, that we're going through, I told Ava, Ava that, look, let's prepare for the worst and, pray for, and hope for the best. And so we as a church are going to organize a living trust and stuff so she doesn't have to worry about the children in the future. She just needs to worry about the healing upon her body. But I also asked Daniel, who's quietly here, if anyone can understand how he could pray for Ava, Daniel lost his mother at the age of 10 to, to cancer. So does Daniel know how to pray for Ava? Does Daniel know how to cover the kids in prayer? Absolutely. When we get our own way. I want to challenge this. How many of you have had cancer or have cancer right now? Please stand. You're not alone. How many of you have been affected with somebody that you love that has lost someone to cancer or has cancer or have been healed from cancer. Stand up. 
perspective. You're not alone. This church knows how to pray for you. This church knows how to cover you in prayer. This church is not pretending that this is going to be easy for you. So I want us to pray for Ava. And I want you to know that Ava will start chemotherapy pretty soon. they got to get this thing down. But raising two kids, a single mother, and having chemo, if you want to help, talk to Isabel. Because we want to surround her with, hey, can we help with the kids? Can we bring some food? Can we do something? And uh, both of us have even said, you know, because we're worst case scenario, we both brought up Peggy. But our hope is in Christ. My prayer is that you'll be completely healed, that these kids will continue to grow up the way that they're growing up. So if you don't mind putting your hands on Ava, and you don't hold, if you guys just can raise, we're going to pray for the doctor, we're going to pray for healing, and then what's amazing about Ava is she's going to light the candle of joy, and then during that, Father, we thank you. We thank you for your message, your word, and we just pray, Lord, we beseech you, Lord, to pray uh, to be healed on Ava's life. We pray, Lord, that this cancer that's within her body can be removed completely. We know that this church knows what it's like to be with the ones that they love that have cancer. And we just pray, Lord, for Ava to be completely healed upon her body. We also pray for this dear girl and this dear young boy, too. We just pray, Lord, as they go through and watch Ava. We just pray like your Holy Spirit will comfort them too as well. And we pray as a body of Christ that we can just come alongside of her, that her per perspective won't be in isolation, but her perspective will be that she's part of this family. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said, Amen. Amen.